everyone, it's Michelle from Studio City Now, and today my guest is the fabulous Eugenia Kuzmina. Thank you for joining me, Eugenia. Oh, thank you, Michelle. I'm really excited. I have a lot of friends in Studio City, so it's actually a very dear area, and I spend a lot, a lot of time there. And I bet we have actually sat next to each other over at um, Aroma Cafe. Yes, I know. <laughs> it, it, it is a tiny world and you know all the artists constantly run into each other which makes it really creative and fun to you know to kind of work and also play right right you know I grew up here and it's such a great area and I wound up here I love it you know I always go to the magazine stand like almost in pandemic especially when there was nothing to do you know just to get out of the house I would come to Laurel Kenyon and pick up my newspapers and you know everything from science to like fashion and kind of sit around and there are all these artisan shops on Ventura, which I just love, you know, it's, oh it's so great to support those businesses. And the farmer's market on Sunday. Yeah. And the farmer's market, you know, so it, it just feels really homey and I feel like people talk to each other and it, it just has a great energy around there and a lot of acting studios as well. And uh, my favorite trainer, Tracy Anderson. So yeah. I, I actually, I know that name. Yeah, she's great. You know, she trains people from like Jennifer Lopez to, uh, you know, Gwyneth to like anybody else. And she opened the studio and she has a lot of dancing classes, which I totally love, you know. So yeah, she's on Ventura, check her out. And she has a magazine as well, very smart lady. So, well, so are you. I mean, I pulled your bio. You're a comedian and a model and an actress and just gorgeous. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I love doing different things. <laughs> but your father, oh my God, an artist and a first responder to church. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was kind of hard for me to watch the recent uh, film, you know, on HBO, which was done so well about Chernobyl, uh, because I know that like the female character, I think was kind of based on my dad in some way. That's what my sister said. But for me, it was kind of hard to watch it because I knew like what happened really and like the whole unfolding and how hard it was. My dad was the right hand of uh, Legasov, you know, who was the, the like main scientist working on the project, on the response. And they were one of the first ones to fly in the helicopter and kind of assess the damage. And they were not allowed to release to public the scale of the disaster. And a lot of people who were left there, you know, they didn't know that their area was affected because the government didn't want to kind of blow it up for their foreign policy. So they were trying to go to Vienna and discuss that, you know, with the Western government and were hunted by KGB, you know, and like people would follow them. And yeah, it was very tough on my dad. So a lot of times instead of like all the Cinderella stories, he would tell me about like how important it is to take care about other people and be kind. I think it haunted him for the rest of his life as well. Is he still with us or no? No, I lost him when I was 15. So that was my main motivator actually to move to Paris and really commit to a career because I knew that, you know, in Russia at the time, like everything was changing and there was a lot of corruption. So to go to really good college, you have to know somebody. And, you know, my dad, my mom was a housewife for a long time. So we didn't have those connections. And, you know, I assessed my future would be better going to, to Paris and working and kind of supporting my family that way. So um, could I ask what year you went to Paris? Um, I think it was like 2001, around that time, you know. I, I came before with my mom. So I came just for the summer 
in I think it was like 2000 or 1999 uh, I came just for the summer as a teenager to check it out but it was more you know my dad was still alive and I started modeling at 13 and I was scouted right away so I went for a few months to see if that's like a good profession they paid for my tickets and the only job I got I think was Yves Saint Laurent a big show with all the huge models uh, and yeah, except for that, like I came back and I wasn't like was coming back and forth and wasn't cast for maybe a year or later uh, because I was super shy. <laughs> So yeah. Wow. Yeah, I remember Chernobyl. Nobody knew about it. And some news source picked up a cloud heading west over yeah. um, British countries or Scandinavia. Yeah, yeah. It affected a lot of people and they didn't know about it just because it was still the Soviet Union. And then, you know, I lived through the whole perestroika when Russia became wild, wild west and all the scientists became oligarchs. So it was interesting to see the process, you know, and how the country changed and how it's changing now. Like I went back last year in February to promote the gentleman Guy Ritchie film. And it was a completely different experience because I haven't been in the country for like 11 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's interesting. To, did you have to defect or could you just immigrate? Well, I was lucky in a sense. Of course, you know, my dad was trying to immigrate. He used to work with Soros. So he used to come to America and um, do a lot of conferences from the Russian part. But of course, we had like KGB behind us and you can't talk to any Americans. And like they knew that you know, maybe somebody was trying to immigrate and my dad was trying to immigrate to Austria, but the government didn't allow because he knew too much information and working for the government, they just didn't allow it. Um, and of course, it was impossible to just immigrate, you know, at that time, it was really hard. And we actually grew up in food lines, so we didn't have money on top of that to do anything. But I was really lucky because I was scouted by, a, you know, a scout from Natalie Models, who usually at that time, that was like the business model for models. You would send a scout to third world countries like Brazil, like, uh, you know, Russia things like that and then you will bring the girls because they were so poor they would work for almost nothing and you would bring them to Paris and you know kind of get them and really have any chances to have a good education so for them so for me that's what it was it was a ticket out and also since my dad died then I moved full-time to Paris and kind of was homeschooled um, and after shoots would you know pass my exams instead of going to parties like other girls did and I guess your mom was able to leave Russia too no she wasn't of course you know they the way it works is like the agency gives you a contract for six months and they will pay for your apartment and your ticket, but it is in your debt. So nothing is free in life as we know. And they will get, they'll put you in an apartment with like six models and bunk beds. And like you have your little tiny corner and you live out of suitcase. And they see you go to maybe 10 castings a day, like meeting people on high heels, run around town, don't speak a language. And they see if you get booked and you can get like, you pay back the agency all your debt and then you can start earning so there's a lot of pressure you know especially as a teenager and especially in the business you know in a such a strange business of like being objectified every day and um yeah you know it's not as glamorous as it looks at all and then plus you have to like send the money back and there's a pressure of that as well and you know looking good or like being what the client needs for every job is impossible as well so dealing with like rejection on a daily basis and living in an apartment with other teenage girls who sometimes create cat fights <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah oh my gosh now you said food lines and I bring that up because when um, our quarantine first hit, 
Mm-hmm. I have a friend from Georgia mm-hmm. and she pulled a total panic button. It's like you have, I, I won't do the accent. <laughs> yes. she, said, she said, you have to buy rice and you have to buy beans and we're not going to have food and we won't have electricity. And I'm like, where is this coming from? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was actually listening to another podcast from some psychologists and it kind of like a snowball, you know, of um, scarcity mentality, which I went, you know, which I saw, we actually really didn't have food. But like, it's interesting that in America, they, my joke as a stand-up comedian is like, in America, food lines at least have food, right? So in Russia, we really didn't have food and I had to chase people like, and figure out like how not to starve and to survive on like a bag of oatmeal and sugar, make lollipops out of it. So for me, the pandemic was like an interesting psychological assessment. I was totally relaxed. I was the one shopping for our family. And even though our relatives would send us like containers with frozen food, just like to help, you know, I was like giving this food away to some people that I know were more in need because I knew like it was just psychological, like, you know, people, it, it is literally just thinking that it, you don't have enough. And the same thing applies to like money, just in day to day thinking about money. Like if your mentality is scarcity, you would have scarcity. So it all comes down to like thinking and relaxing and meditating and assessing the real threat. There was never a shortage of food. There was a shortage of supplies and things like that. And somehow, I don't know, I was lucky to figure out how to get everything at any time and share and be kind. I think what was really missing for me is like people weren't kind and they were rude and pushing each other, which, you know, is understandable. Like it's the first time that happened maybe in American culture because it's a culture of service and like having everything, you know, for you at all times. So it was really shocking maybe to some people to kind of get back to that, like me, 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 I have to survive. Like, and everybody else doesn't matter, but it definitely is an interesting psychological assessment of what was happening. Yeah, it was weird seeing a line at the market well, there's still lineups, yeah, but you, you have to be, I don't know, I think I was really patient, you know, I could see how it triggered a lot of people and brought a lot of anxiety and, you know, the, like disorganization because sometimes people would abuse their power if they were like the head of the line. For example, I had to renew my license at DMV and people who worked there, I think they were just, you know, it's like prison guards mentality, like, okay, now I'm in power or like airports sometimes it happens with people who have power in the airport and they were just torturing like people would make you stand in line for seven hours in the sun without like anything and then they would come up and say like oh my god well everybody after this person like you you are not gonna make it but they would say it last minute so for me it was kind of a there's a comedy aspect of it because I saw what was reality and what was not. But, you know, you just have to be creative to figure out how to be kind. And that's what you learn in this time is like who you really are as a person and what are your morals. That happened to me once. Um, sorry for chatting so much, but like, I, I really think it's uh, relevant to this. So mm-hmm. I had an airplane crash, right? Uh, I was going from France to Moscow And in that time, like when it happened, I could see people for who they are. There were people who were pushing like kids and women out of the way. And there were people who were trying to save others. So I think it all comes down like in the last moment of like, you know, like survival, like who you are as a person. And for me, it's really important to to be kind and to kind of put others who need it more first. Okay, you were in an airplane crash? Yes. Yeah, I was in a lot. I, I mean, you know, I traveled so much. 
almost like every second day as a model. So obviously I've, I've seen a lot of different things and had a lot of amazing adventures. And this was part of it, but I was obviously very, very lucky. It was just like the hermetization of the cabin. So the air pressure goes out and they try to really, you know, land the plane very fast, but they didn't explain us what was happening. So the exit signs was like blashing and we're going down and actually the airplane broke in the air. Like the roof started to come out and some people's ears were like popping out. And I was sitting in the back seat. So apparently they told me after that the back of the airplane is like the safest place to sit because up front the pressure was just like so bad they had to take people to the hospital and my reaction was like totally crazy because the guy next to me was like pushing out when we landed like pushing everybody out because you don't know if it's gonna explode right and this the stewardess woman who was working she was trying to push the roof back down because she was in total control and service like she, that was her job and I came to her I saw her being so anxious and shaking and I'm like got everybody out of the way and then it came to her and you know how you brain thinks I was like don't worry relax that happens to me all the time and I, it, it, it obviously didn't but I was trying to calm her down so it was just like after whatever that happened when I think I was like 18 at that time and for me you know like I wasn't worried about my life it was more like my sister and my mom who were trying to meet me and I was like no I can't do that to them yeah I mean it, it changed my life in so many ways like just how I see things in life you know and it taught me a lot of lessons it teaches you to be grateful for a lot of things oh just for life right just being alive like literally I live my life by that rule like today this moment I want to do things out of love and not out of fear so I check out every moment if my decision comes from love and joy wow yeah that's amazing Thanks. It is what it is. Life, life is there. You know, it teaches us all different lessons, and you never know what pe other people are going through, right? Sometimes we think that the grass is greener on the other side, but actually, we all have our, you know, lessons to learn. We do. We do. And I also say you were training to be a professional ice skater. I was. Yeah. Basically, you know, you can't really go for fun and do sports in Russia. And I think my mom really wanted me to like be outgoing you know and learn all of these things because I was very very shy kid otherwise I would like stay in my room and play with my imaginary friends you know I was very shy so my mom was trying to get me out as much as possible and give me the best education possible the education was free so you know she could sign me to music school and to like ice skating but the only thing is you can't do it for fun because it was free education you have to actually work for the state for the russian state so like the goal was to train for olympics right and you would go through the tests and if you're selected then you can do it and then like the trainers were hardcore like i mean at six i, I passed the audition for some reason like that was fine but i was super inflexible so the trainers they would like to to you know, to stretch you, like you have to exercise every day, right? Uh, and then they would sit on your legs to literally like stretch you. So they would go to like extra mile, which was like really, really painful. But it taught me a lot about like power of will, you know, education. And then also like practicing on ice every day. Sometimes, you know, I would have my toes being frozen. So I had to pour like hot water. But it also taught me like how to work really hard. I think it helped me a lot with everything in life. So I'm grateful. And I actually passed the audition to like stop the school and go to like to train for maybe Olympics or something like that. But I talked to my parents because it's such a specific lifestyle. If it's something like I was really passionate about, 
and I decided that it's not something I'm really passionate about. It's just like, I, I like to do it for fun. I like the entertainment aspect. I like the show. I like the like costumes that we were, that people were designing for us, like custom made. I like the, you know, the storytelling, like all, all these things I love, but you know, the ice skating and training aspect of it was a little bit too much and not like in my realm of talent, more in my realm of skills. So I kind of quit. And I also see you were in like commercials for Coca-Cola and L'Oreal. And yeah, so these after, were in Moscow. Yeah, after after I quit ice skating, I did two other things. I went to music school, which I had to audition like seven times, I think, because the teachers told me I have like zero listening. So I had to train myself to listen really hard. And I finished music school as well as I went to be a tennis player. And when I went to do, to study tennis, like it was a little bit easing up, like you don't have to train to be like the best, best, but we still were doing pretty good with competitions. And like I was surfing um, bowls, you know, this, this kids who serve bowls at like big tournaments around for like Kafelnikov. And it was really exciting as well to do that before I got into modeling. And that was by accident, obviously. You know, it's not really a skill, like the way you look is just the way you look. But yeah, I, I, you know, a lot of times I think Giselle came to shoot in our school and I could see like a lot of European companies started coming in and then I was scouted because like Coca-Cola needed a Russian model, you know, to represent their brand in Russia and M&Ms started doing commercials, you know, so that's how I got into modeling and then I went to Paris. Yeah. And then worked, I guess, for Cartier and Dior and Armani and... Yeah, I was very lucky, you know, with Yves Saint Laurent kind of found me, but I was still like inside, I was still super shy. So modeling is about showing yourself and representing all these beautiful brands, you know, and like having this energy of being out there, like you were the queen of the, you know, whatever, the jungle. And that was just not in my skill set. Like I would hide in the corners at castings and like I would be never chosen ever, you know, because that was my energy. I was like, okay, bye. Like this is me and like I I'm not going to talk. And then it took me a while just to kind of get comfortable in my skin, you know. And I think Yves Saint Laurent like taught me like, oh, it's all an illusion. You didn't have to be like just like faking it, but you can also put like that confidence as a character. And I think that really helped me. You know how they say like Beyonce, I think she she was shy and she put this like character on. And that's like, that's her stage thing. But actually as a person, she's not that, you know. So I think for me, it was a little bit of, that which like gave me a little bit of confidence like okay this is just like a model part of it and that's why i think i transitioned into acting so well after that because modeling was like part of the training oh yeah and then acting i mean you were in bad moms i love that movie yeah me too you know i was so proud of it because and it's funny i got it like without audition because i I already was a mom and I think I was a bad mom. So I think the, the frequencies just matched, you know, and it was super fun to be on set. I think it was one of the first sets where nobody was fighting over trailer because every woman there was a mom and the directors did the hangover and we were just like bouncing things around and like just playing, you know, proving and everybody just had a blast on set. And, you know, actors, as they were moms, they were very supportive and and we had a blast on that thing. And also I'm proud because a lot of times in Hollywood, like 
it's such a cliche you know like there's a kid in the scene and the kid is not crying and i'm sorry like any mom would know that never happens like it's always a mess and everybody like as a mom i think have these high expectations of being everything for everyone at the same time and you know i think it's not true so at least bad moms like showed a little bit of reality of motherhood which I personally was struggling when like I became a mom and I created the blog model mom TV for that just to kind of you know find other mothers who were going through challenges and found a silver lining oh wow I didn't even know you had a blog yeah I do have a blog um, it's called www.modelmomtv and I started it it's not about models who are moms it's actually about like every parent I believe is a model because kids model their behavior on you and there's no one way of parenting right like and I would find all these incredible women who are passionate about their career but also were raising kids and like ask them questions how do they do it all? Like, how do they do it? Not all, but how do they find a silver lining and pursue their passion while like raising kids and not every person is the same. And I felt, I, I did feel a lot of pressure coming back to modeling like six months after having my first kid. Those worlds just are a dichotomy. As a model, it's all about you and like exercising. It's not, you know, it can become narcissistic, but it's also like you are a product, right? So you have to spend a lot of times just like focused on yourself. And as a mom, it's completely opposite. Like you have to spend 24 seven focused on somebody else's survival in life. And I was just like really struggling to find a balance in that. And that's why, you know, wanted to create like a tribe and a community of women who are passionate and yeah, that's how it started. And, you know, there's a lot of development. We tried to make a, a reality show out of it, but it just went into a really negative space, kind of like Kardashians, like people fighting. And I just didn't want to bring out that energy in the world. So we're working in it now in more like a scripted, funny comedy way. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah, Thank I, you. Have, I have kids and it's like, you can't have a perfect house 24 seven with kids. Totally. Right. And, and if you don't laugh about it, you'll cry about it. So it's better to laugh, cry about it. <laughs> when it's like, who cares if there's dishes? We yes. eat. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Like you, you totally reevaluate everything in your life. And I think it's really hard to explain to somebody who's not a parent what it's like, you know, because it is like a mess a perfect mess all the time mm -hmm. and you know that's fine nobody has to live like Betty Crocker <laughs> right yeah it's impossible there's like all this an illusion you know but that's what that's what like people teach you in magazine and I show you you know like now it's a new generation of course things are changing but like in the 50s if you look at this ads it's like oh I'm a such a good housewife and like I'm everything is perfect I'm like no that is not the case and like thank god fashion and advertisement worlds and like Hollywood are changing with their messages and there's so many amazing like women producers and storytelling would show it more and more how it is true true now also you're a comedian. I am. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it also came to my life by accident. Absolutely. Because when I started acting, I, you know, I started by accident as well because my husband was in the industry and I had a baby already. And just a lot of times modeling agencies, they send you to audition for film industry. And I got a film like, you know, by auditioning and then got my SAG card from commercials. 
and it was like a little bit of a more stable life for me than modeling because I you know on set you were like for months or like you know for a few months but at least it's more stable than like traveling from Japan to like Paris and not knowing where you're going to be the next day and I kind of slowed down with modeling you know focused on I mean got my agency here LA models in LA got based here and started acting and the roles I was getting were always like a Russian prostitute or like gold digger or mail order bride and you know I would get all, yeah like I'm being typecast so much and like it's fun to get like your first film role and it's fun to work with like Zach Hafra you know John Turturro uh, but also like it's kind of boring to the point where okay I know the script I know my lines it's probably the same lines hey I'm Olga this is Svetlana two for the price of one you know <laughs> Like, seriously, so, so, like, that's not a joke, right? It's like, seriously, what was happening? And I was shooting a film with Woody Allen and, um, you know, um, Sofia Vergara and Sharon Stone, amazing artists. John Tutor was directing. And we're shooting our scene at Carlisle. And I was playing a Russian prostitute, of course. And I was like, okay, I want to do stage now. But it's really hard because not a lot of people are putting Russian plays on. So that would be a longer road you know to kind of hustle and audition for russian plays and find people who are doing them so a brilliant idea came up I'm not bragging but you know i just thought it was such an easier way to do stage and kind of you know expand my consciousness and learn in my voice would be what he does and he you know he used to do stand-up and like we would come he said like he was playing jazz and i was like oh my god maybe stand-up is something I can pursue because you can write your own material so I don't need to wait for anybody and you can perform on stage and it's live. So I called my best friend now, like one of my good, really good friends and my coach and mentor, uh, Jerry Corley, who used to write for Jay Leno. I just Googled it, right? And I was like, I, nobody ever told me that I'm funny ever. Like that wasn't like in my toolbox at all. Mm -hmm. um, and I called him want to do stand-up can can I take some classes with you and he like challenged me he's like this model like I don't know if she can be funny ever so he he sent me a few jokes to write and I wrote them and he's like okay okay like uh, there is some potential like I can probably work with you and we met and we're like writing ever since I actually do you have like a session today so he helps me and mentors me because English is obviously like not my first language and sometimes some ideas would come to me but it is really hard to translate to be understood and he's really great with like making it understandable and it's almost like writing music plus you find your voice and you find the ways to say it and like the timing and it's really fun to work on it for sure yeah, and you've been with the comedy club the laugh factory have you been to the improv uh, i haven't no i haven't done a show the improv for some reason you know the thing is like clubs are very political people don't understand that it is almost like Hollywood, right? So the comedy store, it's like the hardest club, you know, because they're the oldest club and there's even, you know, Jim Carrey did a show about it. Like I'm dying up here. It's all about like how the comedy store started. So it's definitely very iconic. Laugh Factory, I've did a few shows with pretty funny women, but I producers there. I mean, now I do know, like obviously now it's, you know, it's time to like develop your connections and relationships. And also for women in comedy, it's not easy. Let me tell you, there's always on the bill, like one or two women and like 20 guys, like that's just how it is. So we're, we're changing it slowly, but it's not easy for women to, to make it, you know? So yeah, so I haven't been in the improv yet. And then the pandemic happened, like my friends were performing there and I was working my way up how, how to perform there. 
you know, because you have to know the owner and the owner has to like you and then they like blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's like a long line up. But now in pandemic, they open all these new clubs and it's an interesting scene, you know. So we're doing, I'm doing a show tonight at Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, which is one of the oldest hotels in Hollywood with amazing lineup, like people from SNL, people who have Netflix specials. So really grateful for that. And then I'm doing a show at the Chateau Marmont and going to New York next week. So it's, it's pretty busy. And I don't need to belong to a club now anymore because they're all these like out of the box things and going to Vegas as well. Oh, really? Where in Vegas will you be? Um, so we performed at Notoriety Club when we went maybe a month ago and I performed with Domenico who does Trump and I did Melania and it was fantastic. Oh my God, 300 people, you can imagine like after pandemic, they just opened. It was just the energy was booming. It was like the roaring 20s or the 60s, you know, people were just happy to be out and celebrate and laugh. Like we just... It was just so fun. So definitely coming back to Vegas, doing the same. And I'm working my way up to get residency at Delilah, which is a new club that's opening that hasn't happened yet, but I'm putting a package together to kind of, you know, hustle. And that would be my dream because the place is amazing. And, you know, working on a specific character there uh, and it's happening at the win. Um, and hopefully it will happen, you know, but it's, it's a really beautiful place. It opens on July 10th. I'm going back to do a show there as well um, on the 10th at some little joint, you know, more, but with real comedians and also check out some DJs and like a lot of TikTokers are there. So it's really, it's really like a new kind of place for live comedy and music. Yeah. Well, my cousin is comedian. And oh, nice. Yeah. I don't know if you know him. Greg Vaccarello. Sounds very familiar. I'm really bad with names and like faces, you know, sometimes, but I, I, he sounds very familiar. I'm sure I do. Yeah. And my former brother-in-law, I think he's at the Tropicana. So, you know, my cousin said things are opening up. He's on a cruise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, they are. This, is good. this tells me the world is getting almost normal. Actually, I work with a therapist, right? Because it was really stressful. Like a lot of people have PTSD after pandemic. And, you know, it's never going to be the same like it was before because we were all affected in some like energetic level. But it is getting getting to somewhere maybe even better. You never know, you know, because people do need like, you know, everything is circular, right? So when it was like prohibition and then the 20s happen and it, when it was like the war and then the 60s happened and now this pandemic and now, you know, like it, it's going to come up and like something big going to happen. And I know in a good way. Me too. Me too. I mean, it's so weird it all the men I've spoken to have lost weight and worked out. All the women <laughs> I've spoken to have gained 30 pounds. Well, you know, I can explain to you, like, psychologically speaking, I, I feel, and as a mom especially, you know, it's all about, like, caring for others, right? So I think we put ourselves last. And I think, like, you know, we're very emotional and food is such an emotional substance. Not for me personally, because... You know, growing up on food lines, I think I kind of had to like train myself not to be emotionally attached to it. But 
um, I, I know a lot of my girlfriends, they definitely, I mean, even I did gain some weight, you know, funny enough, because food was like the last resort for some kind of pleasure and giving Oxycontin to your brain, you know, and like when all these crazy things are happening and the news are happening, you're like, what is going on? You have to find something to kind of balance your brain a little bit. And I try to like walk in nature as much as I can and hug the trees and then get some food that I never totally feel you. But I think... A lot of men, you know, they're just like more strong-willed in that sense and they're wired to like take care of them like first in a sense, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's interesting observation on your side. Oh yeah, like every man, like the last two people who were friends said, oh yeah, I started playing hockey and I worked out and I did 150 sit-ups a day and I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a funny thing. I think, I think, you know, like watching my husband as well, it's like, when you're in a panic mo mode, you go the opposite way, right? It's like fight or flight. So I think a lot of men chose like fight, right? And they kind of like, okay, I need to do more. And I like, I need to overwork and I need to overdo. And like, and like women were like flight, bye. I'm going to like go and relax, you know, and like go to nature and eat some pancakes. Well, we also thought this was going to be a two to four week thing and that's it. Oh, totally. I think nobody knew what was happening. I mean... It's so funny because I was up and out through the whole pandemic and shot to film somehow, which was like bizarre. But, um, you know, I had to move to hotel because something happened to our house. So like literally two weeks after they said that, I had to move out of my house and be in like a weird hotel with people, which oh, no. was freaky. Yeah, I mean, we were lucky, you know, we were on the beach and actually so you were like able to walk on the beach and get that fresh energy and like stay healthy you know and my kids were with me and my husband was dealing with the house so we were out and then I got a movie in the middle of pandemic of course with all the protocol and procedures and blah 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 you know and like testing stuff like that so did that as well like two films and was kind of prepared and I was the one who was like shopping for my family and standing in lines because you know my husband is older so I didn't want to risk him and I also had to protect my kids and make sure that I'm that Jeanne of Arc in a sense mom <laughs> but you know we got through it we did yeah we did thank god you know I mean I, I feel for people you know I felt everything from like anxiety loss to tragedy to like it definitely affected me on energetic level and it felt very compassionate and you know sad a lot of times and had to like meditate to kind of stay in the present every day the one thing i did notice is um well i love the fact there was no traffic you know it is so hard to like this is the only thing is to be automated driving control you know like why Elon Musk hasn't stepped up he did that in pandemic because obviously there was a little bit of time to think so yeah that's that's the only thing that I'm like okay why is that happening like why do we have to go back to like that thinking and texting and driving and stuff like that yeah it's like I would get on the freeway to go to Malibu and yeah. there in like 30 minutes I'm like what happened <laughs> I know so many so amazing it was like amazing to see that and now i think like everybody's out five times more so the traffic is worse five times more than before pandemic and plus we haven't driven for some time right like some people so the driving skills went to like whatever so now it's like oh my god like what are you doing driving and cutting people here and there because you know people just getting back to things yeah but i have also noticed at least for me I'm a nicer driver. It's like somebody's trying to get in front of me. I just let them go. Me too. Me too. 
totally that you know i was like sometimes you can see people being overly aggressive now but i'm like okay like no road rage please like I, it's fine like i'll get there when i need to get there because i think time got so reevaluated in the pandemic you know before pandemic like me personally i was running all around all the time doing things for other people and like not focused of like being depleted you know i was depleted a lot of times especially as a mom as well and then pandemic like and reevaluate what was actually important in our life and like where we can say no so you know now like driving i'm like you i'm like okay i can slow down because watch i'll get there when i need to get there and that's what it is yeah life won't end some 5 minutes later i like exactly in front of me to make his left turn exactly totally do it every day and with you yeah yeah i think maybe or i hope possibly everybody became nicer i hope so too you know i think that's like for me spiritually talking cuz i don't know i you know I'm, spirituality is a big part of my life not religion but spirituality but i think it's like the healing of the planet you know we have to go through all this it's almost like you know mother nature like you know teaches us some things and you know mother earth teaches us some things and we just have to come up as like better people and unfortunately we have to go through it the sad thing is the homeless situation i used to work and like you know a lot of times downtown with different organizations like feeding the homeless and i would go and study and like why is it happening like you know after pandemic everything that happened so i think a lot of times um you know the mental health issue is a big problem in this country because there are no facilities for people to leave or you know be where they're like mentally unstable and have like some kind of assistance like in Russia we do have you know hospitals for people in place where they can stay and a lot of times here you know if you're mentally sick it's really hard to kind of like get to you know having a job and having you know home and there's that problem um to start with and also you know the drug thing of course you know all the cartels that come from like Mexico and the drug problem like if people are on drugs it's also hard to you know to have a job and kind of get back an educational aspect like you can give people food but if they're not educated how to earn their own you know it will never change so yeah i mean thinking about it a lot and quick, it's it's unfortunate that it's happening now quick question about russia and then i'll wrap it up i'm mm-hmm. just kind of curious you know here in america i mean we have to pay for our education yeah and um, our medical is extremely expensive mhm uh do you have like national health or it's kind of hard to say i think canada is great sweden is great with that and even my sister lives in london it's a little bit better system but in russia it just changed from like such a polar opposite so when i was growing up it was all paid by the government right but then there was always corruption still so if you bribe a doctor they would take better care of you so there was that aspect of of that you know kind of line and now like it's changed and it's becoming more like america like you pay for things and people care less in some way you know because like if you have a free healthcare and then you pay on top you can pay on top like person would care personally but now it's kind of a little bit of a mess i think so yeah i think you know canadians they have amazing healthcare I research and have a lot of friends like Swedish and you know Iceland like all these countries they they kind of have a great education and and healthcare better organized than us. 
Oh, wow. But an education um, that's free. Are universities paid for or? Uh, in Russia, yes. So that's why I left because, you know, a lot of things were changed. Iron Curtain came down and then everything just became like Wild West, as I say, like all the bribes and like everybody was just grabbing all these industries like nickel and, you know, oil and everything else. Like all these people close to the government were oligarchs suddenly were making like billions of dollars and it created a big gap between the poor and the rich. And then you like the, the rich could really pay the teachers to get their kids better education. And I knew that I couldn't afford it, you know, because my dad was a scientist and a lot of my friends, actually, I went to a really good school. A lot of my friends, their dads became oligarchs and they were able to finish the education. But I knew I couldn't go to college because I didn't have the money and I didn't have the connections because my dad died. So, you know, that's what it was. Wow. Yeah. Thankfully, I got educated or I got my degrees before. It costs, you know, the price of a house to get a bachelor's degree. Oh, it does. You know, especially in L.A., it's so hard. I mean, my kids are in private school, but, you know, I just try to make sure that they know how grateful they should be for having an education. Thank God they're, like, in really good schools, you know, but it's it's just a lot, you know. But my husband is like, you have one kid here, literally, like, business-wise, it's like you have to have a million of dollars. So, you know, to, to make sure that they go to the best things. Like, I don't... You know, it's, it's a lot. It, it is not the best system, I think, you know, in that way. Well, anyway, um, so how can we reach you on social media? Uh, well, I always, people ask this question, I'm like, Google, you know, like you can just say like Google the name and you find out everything you need to learn about anybody now because, you know, with all these uh, platforms, I'm, I, I do a lot of times Instagram, so it's Eugenia Kuzmina. And then sometimes like people DM me and if it's something that, you know, I can help with, like, and if it makes sense, I usually answer. So I'm pretty reachable, you know, I'm pretty busy, but I, if I, if there is a, something that I need to like mentor a young girl to, you know, how to get into business or how to deal with like parenthood, uh, that's like a big part of my job to give back as well. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Thank you. It was really nice talking to you. And thank you for asking such interesting questions. A lot of times, you know, questions are like kind of the same about like, oh, which movie you did and who did you work with? So it was actually very interesting to talk to you about life and like different aspects of life. Well, you know, once you start with father was Chernobyl. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. There's so many like multi dimensions of things that that I went through <laughs> and like good to share with other people maybe to to not go through true well thank you again and you have a wonderful wonderful day thank you so much thank you for having me and um, have a beautiful day in studio city thank you and have fun at the roosevelt tonight thank you thank you okay Take care. okay you bye. too bye